but I'm telling you that spiritual hunger and thirst is a precursor to the revival. How hungry and thirsty are we for it? Thanks for listening to the Seeds Church Podcast. If you're in Middle Tennessee, we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out SeedsChurchTN.com for times and locations. Now, here's our lead pastor, J.D. Swilly. We're going to read together from the book of Acts, chapter 2. We're going to read um, four verses here, and we're going to read aloud together. Ready? When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there was, yep, as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. How many of you believe that it's important to know where you came from? It's important to know your roots, right? Uh, It's important for a couple of different reasons. Maybe the first reason is that if you came from a place that was unhealthy, if your roots or, or things about your up bringing or the culture from which you came from, if things were unhealthy in any way, you can now look back at that and you can examine the things that were done that were unhealthy and you can go, wait a second, I'm not going to repeat the same mistakes of those who paved the way for me. I'm not going to live under generational curse. I'm not going to do the things that got them in trouble. I'm going to make adjustments adjustments in my life. Praise God. That's a wonderful thing. How many of you would say that, yeah, I know a little bit of what that's about. I, I've, I've, I've come from, I've got my roots in a place where, you know, it's, it's maybe sometimes it's a little bit, a bit of embarrassing to think about where I came from because of the dysfunction or the unhealth. But you know what? I look at my life now and I've learned some things and God has led me and he's redeemed me and I'm not repeating all those same mistakes. I may not be perfect, but I'm further down the road than where I came from. Praise God. The other reason I'd say that it's important is because if you came from a place that was healthy, thank the Lord, you can look back and see what was done right so that you can repeat those healthy patterns. You can be intentional about continuing on what had been planted into you, the roots that you have, and especially when it's inevitable at some point or another, you're gonna meet a season in life or several seasons in life where you'll be tempted to drift. You can remind yourself, that's not where I came from. Or sometimes it takes somebody else coming to you and say, hey, what's going on? This doesn't reflect your roots. This doesn't reflect where you came from. And you can go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going to get back on track. And, and if, you, if where you came from or where your roots are, if it were a healthy place, then what we ought to do is use that as a launching pad, praise God, to go higher than those who even came before us, to go higher than when we first began, began. And use it as a platform to stand on the shoulders of those who came in front of us. So today I want to talk to you guys just for a moment about where we came from, where our roots are as a church, not just Seeds Church, but the church, and also talk about where we should be launching to. Today's Pentecost Sunday, we've made mention of that already, and it's the birthday of the church. Not Seeds Church, but the church with the capital C, the global church. This is the day. And maybe the word Pentecost or Pentecostal, um, maybe that's had you running from time to time. Maybe it had you running around the room. (laughs) Maybe it had you running away from the room. I don't know, but, but sometimes there's confusion surrounding that word. Oftentimes, uh, people use the word Pentecost or Pentecostal to, uh, they use it to describe a specific denomination 
or to describe a subculture within Christianity, but the word Pentecost is, is really the name of a holy day, of a holiday in Judaism. Judaism, there's several different holidays and feasts, and within those holidays, there's three major feasts, three major celebrations. First one's Passover, the second one's Pentecost, and the third one is the Feast of Tabernacles. And one of the remarkable things that we see about the life of Jesus is that he used all three of these feasts to reveal to the Jewish people who he was, who is God, who am I, as the son of God, and what it is that we're doing. What is it that God wants? What is it that he's wanting to do through me and through you, my people? And we don't have time today to get into uh, talking about all three of the feasts, but because it's Pentecost Sunday, it's appropriate for us to talk about that one. So Pentecost, what is that? Basically, it just means 50. Doesn't that sound spiritual? 50. (laughs) How many guys remember that old uh, SNL sketch? Uh, I'm 50. Yeah, I kick anyway. And I, okay, if you've never seen that, you're like, what in the world? And I do stress old SNL sketch because I don't watch that show anymore. It's garbage. But anyhow, um, and that's you know just speaking strictly from a comedy perspective. Um, 50 what? 50 days after Passover. 50 days after Passover. What happened 50 days after the first Passover? 50 days after the very first Passover is when the law was given to to Israel. That God met with Moses and he gave the Torah, the law, to the people of Israel. God had used Moses as a deliverer to to rescue the people, the, the Israelites, out of Egypt. They had been enslaved by the Egyptians for 430 years. And all of a sudden, at just the right time, God sent a man, a deliverer, and now they've left Egypt. Fifty days have passed. There's about two, two and a half million Israelites. They're gathered together at the base of Mount Sinai, and Moses goes up the mountain to meet with God. And the presence of God manifested that, that in that time with a cloud that descended upon the mountain with loud noise and with fire. And God wrote his law on tablets of stone. And that day, the day of Pentecost, was a celebration in remembrance of all that God had done in those 50 days since Passover, since their deliverance in Egypt. But primarily, it was also an earmarker of going, this is when we received the law, received the Torah. This is when we received all these things that God is revealing to us about who he is, about his character, his nature, and how he wants us to respond to him and the ways. The Torah described to us about who God is and his ways and how we're to respond. And that's what Pentecost is about. Unfortunately, when Moses was up on the mountain meeting with God, there were a few Israelites that decided you know what, uh, this has all been a great like little 50 days that we've had here. We're delivered from Egypt, but now we're ready to take things in our own hands. And we're gonna scorn the deliverance that Yahweh uh, just you know, showed to us in his mercy and his provision and providing for us as we've left Israel. We're gonna rebel against that. We're gonna rebel against God, and we're going to craft an idol for ourselves And they made uh, this golden calf to worship. And because of that, because of that rebellion, 3,000 of them died that day. Now fast forward to Pentecost 34 AD. Acts chapter 2, we just read about. We just read how the Holy Spirit descended with a loud sound and fire. And Romans 2 tells us now that instead of God writing his law on tablets of stone, because Jesus came, right, and he fulfilled all the law, praise God. But instead now of having the law written on tablets of stone, a new law is being written on our hearts. 
And instead of 3,000 people dying that day in their rebellion to Yahweh, we had 3,000 people get saved because they heard the name of Jesus lifted up and they chose to believe. Praise God. Let's do this. I want to read to you what Jesus said to his disciples just 10 days before Pentecost. This is in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, and it says this. After his suffering, and this is talking about Jesus, uh, and his suffering would be at the cross, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. He said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, just a quick question here. If baptism of repentance and salvation, that's water baptism, if that's all we need, then why is Jesus talking about a whole other baptism here? And then Jesus goes on to say this in verse eight. He says, but you will receive power. Now, this is not a salvation issue. It's an empowerment issue. And Jesus is saying, I want you to have power because I've got things for you to do. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. Why do we need it? He says it right here. To be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is where we actually get to say yes. And what we talked about last week with personal responsibility, right? It's our job. God's not going to come down and make you and force you. And he's, gonna, he's not going to, you know, those little Gumby dolls that we had when we were the kids that had the wire on the inside of them and you could shape them and mold them and twist them up to do whatever you want to do. God's not doing that in your life. He's asking you to be a willing participant, He's not, he's not Geppetto, you know, the puppet maker, and he's not, he's not making, uh, we're not marionette puppets. We have the responsibility to say, yes, God, I'm going to partner with what you're going to do in the earth. Listen, Pentecost, it's not about wild church services. It's not about goosebumps. It's not about people falling over. It's not about running around the room or swinging from the chandeliers. What it's about, it's about people receiving power to make a kingdom difference. It's about God empowering his church to do a work that we cannot do on our own. What led up to that Pentecost, that Pentecost day where the Holy Spirit fell? Jesus' disciples were waiting together. They're spiritually hungry and thirsty. For what? For the promise of the Holy Spirit. And they had no clue what it was supposed to look like. I mean, they had an idea, probably, of what it would look like after the Holy Spirit came because they walked and talked with Jesus. And I, I would assume that they would have probably connected the dots of, oh, Jesus said, greater works than I you will do. Okay, well, how's that possible? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. They didn't know what it was supposed to look like, but what they did know is that they wanted it. If Jesus had promised it, then that's what we want. They were earnestly desiring an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So question, do you think the disciples would have received the promise of the Holy Spirit if they just kind of blew off what Jesus had told them to do? Do you think that there would have been a sound from heaven? Do you think that there would have been a rushing mighty wind? Do you think that flames of fire would have come and rest and set upon them? Do you think that they would have spoken in new languages? Do you think that 3,000 people would have made a decision to follow Jesus that day, to surrender their life to Jesus? What if they'd just been like, yeah, I know Jesus told us to go and wait and pray in Jerusalem, but we got things to do. I mean, I, I got work. I got stuff planned on my calendar. Do you think that they would have seen this life-changing, power-enduing, outpouring of the Holy Spirit? I doubt it. What do we know, though? We know that they were hungry 
and thirsty, and the Spirit came. And I'm telling you, church, this nation needs another great awakening. We are due for it. And and if we're going to see another great awakening in the nation, then it first means that the church has to be in revival. And if the church is going to be in revival, then it means we're first going to need to position our hearts to be in a place of hungering and thirsting for the person of God and for the things of God. We're hungry for a move of God. Where did we come from? Where are our roots? We came from a group of Jesus' disciples that were so hungry and thirsty for an outpouring of the Spirit that they saw it happen. And it empowered them to propel the mission of the gospel throughout the world in the first century. That's our roots. We need to remember where we came from because it's going to help us know where we're supposed to go what our launching pad is. Spiritual hunger and thirst is a precursor to revival. We want revival. I think everybody wants that. But we don't realize that we have personal responsibility on it. We have a part to play in the revival. We just want God to come and like the Holy Spirit, just sprinkle Holy Spirit fairy dust on us and then send revival. But I'm telling you that spiritual hunger and thirst is a precursor to the revival. How hungry and thirsty are we for it? Listen to the depth of our hunger for God, to the depth of our desperation to see breakthroughs, to the depth of our love and our passion and our brokenness. Listen, this is, this is, we can't live without another move of God in our lives and in our church and in Middle Tennessee and in our nation. To the degree of the hunger will be to the degree of which God will come and fill us. In Psalm 63... David was in the desert of Judah. This is not when he is reigning as king. This is when he is an outlaw. He's on the the run. He's fleeing for his life. He's alone. He's isolated. And this is what he says. He starts out by, by crying out to God. He says, oh God, you are my God. You sense this this hunger and this desperation for God. Not so much a hunger and desperation for the kingship. Not so much for the throne. Not so much for the power and and the authority of a king that, that was destined to him, was prophesied over him. He's just hungry and thirsty and desperate for God. Oh God, you're my God. I earnestly seek you. I wonder if God answered our prayers to the degree of the fervor of our prayers. What would those answers look like? If God responded to us based on how desperate and serious we are for him, what would those answers look like? David is is at this point of earnestly seeking God. Why? Because he doesn't have an alternative. He's got no other options. I've got no other choices. Technically, he did. He could have run away. He could have spent the rest of his life. He could have fled, he could have fled the, the country. He could have done whatever it is that he wanted to do with the rest of his life. But he knew that if I'm going to fulfill the call of God on my life, I've got no other options. I've got to be hungry and thirsty for God. He's the only one that can sustain me. There's no other alternative. When, when people used to ask Leonard Ravenhill, who was one of the great revivalists of the 20th century, they would say, they would ask him, why don't we see revival? He'd give the simple answer, because we're willing to live without it. Revival in its essence, is a season of unusual divine visitation. If God came in revival and fire, I think many of us would would reject it. And I'm not saying many of us here in Seeds Church, God, I hope not, but I think many believers in America would reject it. It's too long. It's too loud. 
It's too disruptive. It's too intense. Many of the believers in America, it seems like, in many of the churches, it seems like the goal is to just get people in and out of the service quickly as possible. Oh, we got to check that box. We came to worship today. Now we can go on with the rest of our lives, the rest of the six and a half days of the week. How would people respond if you asked them, hey, let's picture what a move of God might be like. What would it look like to maybe be here in the presence of God for six or seven hours at a time? People start looking at their watch. How's that going to work? How's that, how's that fit in my schedule? Now let me open up my calendar here. Genesis chapter 32. Jacob knows that he's about to see his brother Esau again. And there's been some years. And the last time that Jacob saw Esau, Esau wasn't very happy with Jacob because Jacob swindled him out of his birthright. Yes, the one that God used to be the father of the nation of Israel, who changed his name from Jacob to Israel, he was a deceiver. Thank God, God can use any of us with a past like that, amen? And Jacob knows, oh my goodness, uh, Esau and his entire army are a couple days ahead of me here. And there's no way that I can escape. This is gonna be a face-to-face confrontation. You know, Jacob, it's interesting about him because, you know, he was always a schemer, right? He, he did trust God, but he also always had like a plan B too, just in case things didn't work out with God. And here he knows in his mind, he's thinking, Esau's going to kill me. He's going to kill my family. He's going to wipe out all of my, my, my servants. He's going to wipe out all of my livestock, take anything that's valuable for me. Probably he won't even take it. He'll probably just burn it all to the ground. That's how upset Esau is with me. He's been looking for me and hunting me for years now. But he gets to this point where he realizes, I've got no other plan B. Nothing else will work. I've got no alternative. And when he encounters the angel of the Lord and they wrestle through the night, Jacob grabs a hold of him and he says, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. Why? Why did he have that kind of attitude? The reason that he couldn't let go was because to let go was to die. And that's where we are today. It's revival or we die. We may not die literally, but the church as we know it. The nation as we know it. Is this any surprise to any of us that I would be saying these kinds of things? No, we're looking around the world right now. We're looking around the church right now in America and going, yeah, it's revival or we die. It's time for us to get a Jacob mentality and say we're gonna grab onto God and say, God, we're not gonna let go. Psalm 63, once again, David, oh God, you are my God. I earnestly seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Why am I hungry and thirsty? Because I've tasted. I've seen. I've experienced your power and glory. I've gazed upon you. I I, I know that if, if the God is the God of this book, if he is who he says he is, then there's gotta be more. If Jesus really did rise from the grave, And he said that he gave to us all power in heaven and earth, all authority upon heaven and earth earth is ours, and there's been this outpouring of the Spirit, then there has got to be more than what we're experiencing today. I I look around the church, and I look around America, and I go, this is not, this is not what was foretold in the last days. This is not what the church is supposed to look like. We need a revival You need a revival when you look in your life 
and you realize something's missing. And it's not the new toy that you need to, you know, keep stored in the garage. Something in my life is missing when you find yourself prayerless or spiritually lethargic. Something in your life is missing when you feel like you're just going through the motions in your spiritual life. When you find yourself struggling with sin. When you find, you, you, you think that, you look at your life and go, something is wrong here. Something is missing here. When you examine your life and your life is no different than the rest of the people at your workplace who are heathens and don't proclaim to even love Jesus or know Jesus. When you examine American society that supposedly has 240 million people that call themselves Christians, supposedly, and we have, you know, Christian media 24-7 going on. And we have Christian books that make the New York Times bestseller list. But we have a nation that is disastrously heading in the wrong direction. You think something is wrong here. Something's missing here. It's revival or we die. The Old Testament prophet Habakkuk he sees this terrible state of Judah. Judah is under divine judgment and he cries out to God. And God says, well, I'm gonna send the Chaldeans and the Babylonians and they're gonna bring judgment on the nation. <laughs> what? God? I mean, this, this, Habakkuk is devastated because it seems like that God's answer is worse than the actual problem. <laughs> The cure is worse than the disease. And, and he seeks God earnestly. And, and in chapter three, verse two, he says, Lord, I've heard the report about you. I've heard about what you did in the old days. I heard the stories of the outpourings and the visitations. I've heard about when you stretched your hand out and you saved Israel and you delivered your people. I heard about all those old stories, God. And I think we could say the same thing that he said. God, we've heard about the revivals of the past. We've heard about the great awakenings of the past. We've heard about what you did in New York through Charles Finney. We heard about what you did at Azusa Street through William J. Seymour, God. We've heard about the Welsh revival. We've heard about the healings revivals of, of the 40s and 50s and the charismatic renewal of the 60s and the Jesus movement of the 70s and the Word of Faith movement in the 80s and 90s. We've heard about Brownsville, God. We heard about Toronto. And God, we see what you're doing in Africa and India and Latin America, but God, we want our stories today, God. Do it again. And like Habakkuk said, revive your work in the midst of the years. Do your work, God. Do it again today. Grandpa's stories will not do. You guys remember the, the, old, the Oldsmobile commercial? This is not your grandpa's car. This is not your grandpa's revival. I want one. Many of the younger generation have been raised with a hostility towards the gospel. Even within the church, even within the church, young people have more solidarity toward uh, issues that are more social and worldly concerns, and they've been brainwashed to think that Jesus and the church are irrelevant and they can't do anything about the pains of this world. I'm telling you, the stories and the standards of the past won't do. We need a fresh encounter with God for our younger generation, amen? They need to have taste and seen for themselves that the Lord is good. They don't need just to hear it from your stories or from our parents' stories. They need a, a personal encounter. They've tasted, they've seen for themselves. It's revival or we die. Back, it cries out to the Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. And if anybody deserves wrath, I mean, I don't know why our nation would be any different when we look at the state of it. But we cry out, Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. It's time that we begin to pray with this kind of urgency and passion. I hope something is stirring on the inside of you today. 
Psalm 63, once again, David said, I've seen you in your sanctuary. I've gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. He's saying, God, I've been excommunicated from the tabernacle, but I want to come back. I want to experience the the tangible presence of God once again. I want to be encountering you for myself. What's going on here? He's hungry. He's thirsty. He's desperate. He's in this revival or die moment. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, righteousness, for they will be filled. We want revival, but the question is, are we hungry and thirsty for it? If we get hungry and thirsty for it, Jesus made a promise. We will be filled. Psalm 107 says, God satisfies the thirsty and he fills the hungry with good things. In a different context, in John chapter 7, oh, I'm sorry, the same thing. He says, whoever is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. We need to continually be hungry and thirsty for the things of God. In Revelation chapter 2, in verse 3, and chapter 3, excuse me, chapters 2 and chapters 3, Jesus is addressing seven churches. And out of the seven churches, he has rebuke for five of the churches. And he begins with Ephesus. And he says, you know, everything looks good about you guys on the outside. Looks like you guys have it all together. You're doing so many right things. You're doctrinally orthodox. You've exposed false apostles. You've persevered. You haven't quit. All that's great. This seems like the model church. But Jesus says, I have this one thing against you. You have left your first love. How could that happen? How could they be succeeding outwardly, be orthodox in their faith and in their doctrine, yet the thing that mattered most, their intimacy with God, their desperation for God, they lost it. Man, if that's not a great example of what we see happening in the American church right now. Oh, things look great on the outside. But where's our desperation for God? Jesus rebuked Sardis. What did he say? He says, you have a reputation for being alive, yet you are dead. He rebukes Laodicea. What does he say? You say, I'm rich. I'm increased in wealth but you have nothing. You don't realize that actually that you're wretched, that you're poor, that you're blind, that you're naked, that you're pitiful. Can you imagine that we're this super successful church? Everything's happening. Everything looks great. And Jesus looks at us and says, you're blind. You're naked. You're wretched. You're poor. You're pitiful. In all of those settings, in all of those churches that were rebuked, there was no hunger. There was no thirst. There was no desperation for the things of God. Why? Because they had learned how to be really like up on themselves. Self-congratulatory. Look at us. Look at all we've done. Aren't we awesome? The churches that Jesus commends are the churches of Smyrna and Philadelphia. He says to Smyrna, he goes, I know your poverty and afflictions, yet you are rich. And he says to the church in Philadelphia, he says, you have little strength, but you have not denied my name. How hungry are we? How desperate are we for a fresh move of God in our own lives, for a fresh move of God in this church in Middle Tennessee, in our nation? How desperate are we? We can't look to the White House 
Biden is certainly no friend to the church. And we shouldn't have looked to the White House when Trump was in office either. And we can't look to whoever sits behind the resolute desk. Why? Because revival can't come through the White House. It doesn't come through the legislative house. It doesn't come through the courthouse. Those, those places, those institutions have no power to change the spiritual hunger and direction in our nation. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for our, for our politicians and for our nation's leaders. We ought to. But I'm telling you, revival, life-changing revival is not gonna come through those things. The executive, the legislative, the justice branches, They have no power to change the spiritual climate in this nation. But if we will be the branch that stays connected to the vine, God will use us. Martin Luther King said, the church must be reminded that it is not the master of the state, that it is not the servant of the state, but it is the conscience of the state. Our role is to be salt and to be light. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, he says, if the salt has lost its saltiness, what good is it then? What do you do with salt that's lost its saltiness? You throw it out the window, out there on the path, and people walk all over it. It's trampled underfoot. It's the King James language. It's trampled underfoot. And that's what's happened to this so much of the American church. We've been trampled underfoot. Scorned by society. We've been so desperate to be relevant that we've lost our irrelevancy. We've been so desperate to be accepted by the world. They will never accept us. Until the Holy Spirit comes and convicts people of their sin and they change their heart and they say, I give my life to Jesus, why are we trying to win the the acceptance of the world? What we need to be doing is propelling the mission of the gospel, being the hands and feet of Jesus. Holy Spirit will change a person's heart when we get ourselves in the right place. But ourselves in the right place is not trying to convince the world of how cool we are. When the world sees a church that is full of the power of the Holy Spirit, something can change. But if all we're trying to do is like Jesus said, put some paint on the outside of the tombstone. It's still a tombstone and the world can see it. Matthew 6, Jesus said, If the light that you have, (laughs) that you think that you have, if it's actually darkness, oh, how dark that darkness is. I, and I made mention of this at some point in the last couple weeks, but I look around the church and I see what some believers, I'm not specifically just picking on younger believers, but it seems to be more prevalent there. But I'm telling you, it's all over the church, no matter what the demographic is. They think they have a light, but it's actually darkness. You see younger believers who have uh, adopted the philosophies of this world and they've not allowed themselves to be shaped by the word and they are in support of LGBTQ issues. It's Pride Month and it's breaking my heart to see young believers, who people who call themselves believers or Christians um, in support of this. And it, I don't hate uh, gay people. I don't people who are struggling with their identity and transgender issues. I love them. Jesus loves them. But it is not love for us to not tell the truth to people. That's wicked of us. To just say, well, that's cool. That's fine. You just, I mean, God loves you just the way that you are. Yeah, grace can find any one of us, but grace does not find us and then leave us where we are. Thank you, Jesus, for sanctification. He's molding us into the image and likeness of Jesus. Young believers who are so twisted up with the philosophy of this world that they are in support of of reproductive rights, they're in support of abortion, they're, in, they're pro-choice, and I think, man, the enemy has got you deceived. 
You need a fresh encounter with the truth. You need a fresh encounter with the Spirit of God. Let him move on your heart. Be shaped by the word, not by the world. Listen, I'm not, I'm not mad or angry at you. I'm mad at the devil because he's the deceiver. I love you if that's, if that's where you are today, but I'm calling you up. I'm calling you out of darkness into light. Don't be like the one who Jesus said, oh, the light that they have, if it's actually darkness, oh, how dark it must be. No, my greatest concern isn't about the darkness that we see in America. It's about the absence of light in the church. It's time for a fresh move of God in our lives. It's time for us to cry out to God again. There's got to be more. There's got to be more. There's got to be more. It's revival or we die. It's far more comfortable. It feels far better to the flesh with just like, patting ourselves on the back. Good job. Look what you did. Wonderful. Congratulating one another on all the great things that the God's used us to do. That's wonderful. Praise God for the things that are going on. We should always be thankful for what God's done in us and through us. But I don't want to be satisfied with yesterday's manna. I need a fresh move of God today. I need a fresh outpouring today. And I'll just say this. What about the reputation of Jesus in America? What about his, how his church is known in America? That by itself should be enough to bring any one of us to our knees and say, God, show the world, show this generation, God, who you really are. We need the kind of hunger that launches missionaries out into the world and even into our own backyards. We need a hunger that drives us to our knees in fasting and prayer. We need a hunger that reaches the worst of sinners with the love of God and sets them free. We need the kind of hunger that moves us toward holy obedience. We might be grieved over our lack of hunger in America today, and we should be. We should be grieved by the lack of hungering and thirsting in the American church. And I'll say this, the nation is spiraling downward out of control, but it doesn't have to stay that way. If the people of God would get hungry for a move of God again, for a fresh outpouring of the Spirit, we don't have to settle for the way that things are going. We need him. We need a fresh, fresh visitation. It's revival or we die. We could be on the edge of the greatest Awakening that America has ever seen yet to date. Why do I say that? Because the time is ripe. Look at what's going on. But how do we get there? God will start moving where he sees hunger and thirst. Where people are not ashamed of the name of Jesus. Where people are not ashamed of the word. Where people are not ashamed of the spirit. Where he finds hunger and thirst, he is going to come and it's, don't sit there and think, well, if that person next to me would just get their hunger and thirst going. No, what about you? It starts with each of us in our hearts and then in our homes and then in this, in this church. Don't put that responsibility on anybody else. Take responsibility. What did we talk about last week? If we're gonna finish well, then it takes personal responsibility. If we're gonna have revival in your heart, it's gonna take you saying, God, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty. So if you say, I just want God to move in my life, I'm hungry and thirsty, I want you to stand with your feet with me today. We're gonna pray. Let's get undignified for just a moment, please. Just with your own words, in your own language, begin to tell God out loud with your mouth, like, oh my gosh, what if someone next to me hears me? I don't care what anybody next to me hears me. This is between me and God, but I'm gonna say it out, of my loud, out loud out of my mouth because of, I, I want to exemplify some boldness in Jesus' name. So begin to just with your own voice, cry out to God for a moment in your own words. God, we just pray that you would hear us. God, we decided, we just want to stir up spiritual hunger on the inside of us. Ignite a fire 
on the inside of us, God. Let us not be so concerned with what the world thinks about us that we've neglected what you think about us, God. God, we don't want to be a powerless and prayerless church, God. We need you. We're desperate for you, to, for fresh outpouring of your spirit. Let the, let, let the gifts of the spirit move and be stirred within us. May we learn how to use them. May we be full of the fruit of the spirit, God, having the character, God, to back up your works, Lord God. We need you. We need, I need you in my heart, God. I need you in my home, God. I need you in this church, God. I need you here in Middle Tennessee and in this nation, God. Let it start with us. Streams of revival, God, flowing out of us, flowing out of Seeds Church in the name of Jesus, God. We stop, be satisfied. We stop being satisfied, God, with how we've done church before. Stop being satisfied with powerless move, moments and movements, God. We need you in Jesus' name. We need you. God, I just ask you for a fresh baptism of spiritual hunger, God. God, for a desperation that we've never known. For brokenness that we've never known. God, I pray for a revival of repentance, God. That we'd be so fed up with the sin in our lives. In our own lives, God. We'd be so fed up with it, God, that we'd turn our back on those things. We'd repent and we'd say, God, we need you. I can't do this without you. I want to live an overcoming life, God. Spirit, endue me with power to live this life that I'm free from the bondage of sin. God, we, we need, we need a, for repentance like we've never known, for passion like, we, like we've never known before, God. God, forgive us if we've left our first love where we've gone through the motions, God, and just been okay with it. If we've just shown up, but we've been disengaged in our hearts, God. If we've lived double lives, forgive us. Where we've been bound by sin or hypocrisy, God, forgive us, God. We repent. Lord, some of us, we've not tended to the fire of our own hearts, God. We've not tended to that very well. Or maybe some of us, we've just been burnt out. We've been burned up, God. We've been discouraged. But God, I'm asking you for a fresh fire, for a fresh hunger, for a fresh thirst, for a fresh uh, just visitation, God. Father, there's people here today that we're hungering and we're thirsting for you. We want you. So God, to the degree of our hunger, fill us. To the degree of our thirst, fill us. To the degree of our desperation, fill us. Meet us, God. And I just say, no matter what your hunger level is like right now, no matter what it's like today, the word says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Make the decision, I'm going to take a step in the right direction today. And when you wake up tomorrow, you say, I'm going to take another step in the right direction today. And when you wake up the next day, you take another step in the right direction then. And before you know it, you're going to find that the fire is falling in your life. Do it, Father. Do it, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Everybody said amen. 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 Listen, what we saw here today in the spontaneous moments of prayer, in the spontaneous moments of ministry and laying hands of people, in, the, in this prayer meeting, that, this little short prayer meeting that we just had, I want more. I want more of this. What happens here fills us up, empowers us to move out of this place to do the works of Jesus. The works of Jesus shall not be contained to this property. But I will say that it, the works of Jesus will happen on this property too. When people drive by, they'll experience the power and presence of God. Something will draw people here, God. It's the power and presence of God. When you go into your workplace tomorrow, something is attractive about you. Not because, you, ladies, you wore the right makeup or, guy, you sprayed on the right cologne. You're attractive because the essence of the Holy Spirit is on you. We need a fresh outpouring that you can look at somebody and say, I know exactly what's going on because the Lord gave you a word of knowledge and you can speak directly to the heart. You may not have known. You didn't stalk them on Facebook. You didn't know anything about what was going on in their life. You didn't hear a rumor in the office, but the Holy Spirit told you and you went to them and you spoke truth to them and it changes their life. That's what, that's what we need. That's what we need to see. When someone's dealing with sickness in their body, hurt in their body, you can say, let's pray right now. We lay hands on them and pray believing that God hears us and that he moves and that he still heals today. 
when someone's brokenhearted over a situation, that you can come alongside them and the Holy Spirit can use you to bring comfort to them, to maybe say the right things that they need to hear that the Lord's wanting them to hear right now. And it doesn't always have to be, well, God told me this. Sometimes you can just say something that the Holy Spirit's telling you to say. And it brings comfort to some, someone without you saying, thus saith the Lord. We need a fresh outpouring. I don't want to keep doing powerless church. I want the power of God. I want to see a revival. It's a revival or we die. Lord, I just pray that you this moment that we've experienced here today would just be a seed. God, I pray that we would water this seed, that it would sprout forth, that we would cultivate it, that it would grow, and that it would bear much fruit that remains. Jesus, like you told us, God, that we would not expect any other branch to bring revival, but we would be the branch, God, staying connected to the vine. In the name of Jesus, bless your people, God not with just this sweet little blessing that they walk out of here and feel good about themselves, but God bless them and do them with the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. Stay connected with us at SeedsChurchTN.com and on social media. Our mission at Seeds Church is to help people discover who God created them to be and equip them to do what he called them to do. One of the easiest ways you can help us accomplish our mission is by simply sharing this podcast. You can do so by subscribing, leaving a review on iTunes, or sharing it with your friends on Facebook. Thanks again for listening. We hope to see you soon.